The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, put out the dog, grab your earbuds, and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 583 with guest Jay Schmelzer, recorded live Monday, August 9th, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik. Combining the best in Windows forms, WPF, Silverlight, and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And now, the man who says... A light only works when it's turned on. Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. It's Carl, it's Richard, it's .NET Rocks, and we're here again. Indeed. What's up, buddy? Well, we've been having a pretty easy summer. We have all of those live weekend shows being published, so. Yep. You know, it's uh, not been as busy, but sometimes you got to record a show when special things happen. Hey, uh, let us know what you think about the live weekend, by the way. Did you like that? You think that's something if you had more notice that you would uh, tune into? Let us know. Yeah, we're playing with doing other live weekends around certain events and things, so maybe that will be back and we'll do more. Yeah, but you got to let us know. They could send email to .net rocks at franklins.net and uh, keep in touch. So let's get right into Better Know a Framework. And Better Know Framework is this little section that I... Shine a little light on a little corner of the .NET framework to keep you abreast of what's going on. What corner are you illuminating today, my friend? We're talking about the iNotify property changed interface and system.component model. I think I might have talked about this before, but um, especially in WPF and in Silverlight data binding, Mm -hmm. there needs to be a mechanism by which when properties changed, the system has to know about it. Right. So if your class implements I notify property changed, then you can essentially call a sub notify property changed at uh at in the setter of your properties. And that's really all you have to do. And then you have essentially a class that can be used in data binding. Used to notify clients, typically binding clients that a property value has changed. Right. So in other words, when the user types something new into a control, yep. you, you know that notification. Property change, boom, bada bing. Or by contrast, um, it depends on whether you're doing one-way or two-way binding. But if you uh, if your object changes from some other programmatic source and there's a representation of that in the UI, boom, it will update in the UI as well. And that's how it works. Who's talking to us, Richard? I have an email here from Mark Hall. It says, uh, first, let me say that I am very thankful for your show. I spend around three hours every day in my car going to and from work, and the banter between you two and your guests makes a very lonely situation bearable. Aw. Aw, that's great. Over the years, I've collected many shows that I listen to over and over again and find your great insight and inspiration every time. Unfortunately, I made a mistake the other day and destroyed my iTunes instance, which forced me to resubscribe to many of the podcast feeds I need to survive. This led to the realization that I could go back and listen to all your old shows from the archives. Uh-oh. 2002, here we come. <laughs> Dude, 600 shows, man. Some what are those, you doing? Some of those were a little wacky. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Oh, 50 to 100. Yeah, yeah 50 That's to 100. Where it's kind of like the, the college years you'd rather forget about. You know? <laughs> Except you recorded them. <laughs> 
For a second, I thought that you had gone back and made an edit to your show when everyone started talking about Web Matrix. I must have ah, been yeah. asleep back in 2002 when this was announced, but now in 2010, I can't seem to get away from it. Besides the name, they both have something in common, grumblings from the developer community. Basic sentiment is why should Microsoft waste such precious and limited resources on some toy tool when they have bigger fish to fry with their current suite of products? So what are your thoughts on Web Matrix past, present, and future? And that's from Mark Holland in Houston, Texas. Mark, thanks for a great email. I will send you out a mug right away. And if you've got questions and concerns, send us an email, Don and Rocks at franklins.net. Now, well, first of all, Mark, uh, I think that you're jumping the gun here on calling it a toy tool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we published that show last week. It's uh, with uh, Scott Hanselman talking about Web Matrix. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is, and I think we, we talked about this on that show as well, that the Web Matrix product from way back when is very different from the one they just yeah, released. They're very different. Two don't have much to do with each other at all. They just almost reused a name. And at least they're both webbish anyway. And if you thought you were confused now, just wait, because this show is going to mess it up even more. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and just when you think you got it all figured out, along comes Jay Schmelzer to rock your world. There you go. Jay is the group <laughs> program manager on the Visual Studio team at Microsoft. Jay and his team are responsible for the Visual Studio design time tools and runtime components used to build applications that leverage Microsoft Office client and server products. Many of the Visual Studio features vital to end-to-end -to -end application development experience, including data design time, building and consuming WCF services and deployment, as well as the application programmability and extensibility available in Visual Studio tools for applications. Still the longest sentence I've ever read on the show. Prior, <laughs> prior to joining Microsoft, Jay was a partner with a leading consulting firm and specialized in the design and development of enterprise applications. Jay has authored several articles and books on application development and is a frequent speaker at conferences all over the world. Jay Schmelzer, welcome back. <laughs> Thanks, guys. It is a really long sentence, isn't it? It, it really is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least it's full of commas, so I do have a chance to breathe. But yeah, good. So you're here to rock the world. Apparently so. Yeah. He always rocks the world. Yeah, and the last time we spoke... Uh, Rocky was beating you up in Chicago, I think. He was. He was beating me up about a lot of stuff, I think, wasn't he? Yeah, we had to pull out the first aid kit. There you go. Yeah. It yeah. was fun. But it was all fun. good fun. Yeah. yeah like well, we were talking about Studio 2010. That was all good. But you've been, and you've been up to other stuff for quite a while. Some of us have been privy to this little project of yours. Right. Yeah, we've been working on some stuff. I can't, I mean, it's pretty amazing that we were able to keep it that quiet for that long indeed a good couple years right well the title of the show says it all jay schmelzer talks about uh light switch so tell us turn on the light what is it <laughs> well so you know visual studio light switch is you know put it really simply what what we believe is the simplest development experience for building business applications uh that target either the desktop or uh the cloud so nice. You're really focusing in on those folks building data centric, you know, business applications, probably, you know, consumed mainly by employees of an organization. You know, think think that departmental app that everybody has to use uh a couple times a year, a couple times a month, up to you know, real core systems for small and medium companies is really what we're targeting with uh with the light switch product. So the focus is really ease of development and in a in a short learning curve, is that right? Yeah, I mean, you, you think about a a business application, and and when I used to write them uh, before coming to Microsoft and the stuff people do today, there's just a lot of boilerplate code, right? A lot of people might call it plumbing code, you know, the kind of stuff to get in and out of a database, put it on the screen, do some basic validation of it, all those kinds of things that you just write over and over and over again. It's the same stuff, but you also tend to have to figure out which platform or which technology stack did you want to build it on, right? Which of the five data access technologies we have you want to use to talk to your database? What, yeah. what presentation stack do you want to use? How are you going to communicate between a client and a, and a business component? All that kind of stuff that you've got to figure out, and then you've got to write some boilerplate code. With LightSwitch, we just took that, took that upon ourselves and said, look, there's some well-known patterns and practices for doing this. We'll just implement that stuff for you. You spend your time as a developer focused on the custom logic that really is the value of the app you're building. Well, it sounds uh, wonderful. 
Well, thank you. Yeah. So you've rewritten Access. I knew that was going to come. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, I knew you would throw the A word out there, man. <laughs> we might as well get it on the table right away. Right. So we've never seen this before. We've, you know, we've, of course, heard with new technologies that come out that this is easy. I, I know that you guys have really been what you guys have been working on, and it's phenomenal. But put our put our little minds to, to rest. What What is the typical experience like? when you walk up to light switch? Well, so, I mean, I think, you know, the, the light switch experience is really targeted at someone that, that is comfortable using a development tool. Um, you know, you're going to write code when you build a light switch application. That's, okay. just, that's just the way it is. So not um, non-developers. You know, I, I think of it as somebody that is, that is going to be comfortable writing some code, right? Whether you call yourself a developer or not, you know, okay. it's really more you're comfortable writing, writing some code. My job is to to make that code as straightforward and easy as possible, and and as little as possible, right? I don't want you to have to write code for common tasks, things that we should have been able to think about. But you are going to write code in a light switch application. There's there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, it's it's a Visual Studio based product experience, right? So you're going to have a light switch will come out as a version of Visual Studio. There'll be the Visual Studio light switch SKU that you could go buy, um, or if you're a Visual Studio professional premium or ultimate customer, you'll be able to add this into that experience as well. Um, so you get all the richness and the power of Visual Studio. You Underneath, you have the power of the platform that that we are, are building upon. So we build upon the .NET framework. We build upon Silverlight uh, for these applications so that those capabilities are there uh, for you to get at as a light switch developer as well. Um, but again, we just try to focus you really in on the task at hand and that, that custom logic you're looking for. You look at a tool like Access, that is definitely geared more for the information worker kind of person, someone who's creating a simple tracking um, app. You know, someone's going to, you know, a couple tables. They're not going to have to write code. You know, they don't want to write code. They just need to track some things. Um, Access is, is a great tool for that and continues to be a great tool for that. Um, we see LightSwitch as more of a companion to, to those kinds of products. You know, we have good integration with things like Excel uh, and Word for doing you know, data manipulation or presentation of, of data in a, in a richer format. You know, so we see these things going, going well together. So if it lives in Studio, then it's actually just Studio code under the hood? It's just .NET? Um, yeah, well, so under the covers, you know, we're, you know, we're, we build, we take a very model-driven approach to building an application. So, you know, we're not going in and just doing a bunch of code generation on your behalf. Uh, there is some code that's generated, but it's generated just to compile an assembly, and then we throw it away, basically. Um, hmm. So, you, you know, you work with the light switch designers to gener- to create this model that defines your application. Light switch will then go and and compile that into a set of assemblies for you. And of course, your own, you know, user authored or developer authored code will sit in .vb or .cs files and and be compiled in those applications as well. But um. that's really the only code that exists is what you wrote. A designer to model your application, kind of, tell, kind of wild concept, isn't it? Yeah, t- tell us what that experience <laughs> is like. Let's get into a little detail. Sure. So these applications are all data centric, right? Their data is the key. So when you when you start um, Light Switch the, and you create a new project, the only question that we're going to ask you is is what programming language do you think you're going to want to use? Right? Are you going to want to use Visual Basic or C Sharp? Uh, and that's the only question you're asked up front. We'll spin up the project environment, and the first designer or the first experience you'll see is really going to be start start pointing you at getting some data defined that you want to use in the application, and whether that's defining new data structures, you know, new tables, um, or consuming existing data that's already in your environment somewhere, be that in a database, uh, something like a SharePoint list, uh, or we also support you know, custom or hand-authored WCF RIA services as a source of data for your application. Now, is that part of it going to look like the entity data, the entity model uh, designer? Uh, no, it's actually quite quite simplified. Um, we really just get in and you define uh, the, the, the basic structures. So let's say you're going to do something for a doctor's office. You would define a patient as a, as a thing you want to work with. You'd give us the attributes of a patient, you know, their name, address, those kinds of things phone numbers, and so forth. Specify the data type for each individual column, um, and that's one of the places where we provide some additional value in LightSwitch is creating a set of 
we give you an extensible set of what we call business types. Mm. So if you think about a, a typical application, let's talk about you know, the patient. The patient's going to have a phone number. In the database, you're going to store that as a string, right? Some kind of character value. Well, if we know that it's a phone number, we can do interesting things with it. In the presentation tier, we can you know, mm. display it with some nice formatting, uh, you know, with the area code or the country code and, and those kinds of things. We can validation. do validation yeah. logic on it to, to know that, hey, it needs to be numbers, it needs to be certain lengths. Um, all that kind of stuff we can just add on top mm. as part of a validation for this. Nice. Email address is the same thing, right? We can, um, that's going to be stored as a string, but we can put rules on it and say, oh, well, this is the valid format of an email address. You know, here's a default. You can specify maybe a default domain for email addresses. So everybody doesn't have to type at Microsoft.com after the email address. They can just type the, the beginning of the alias and we'll default that in. All those kinds of things we can do in these business types. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, so you, know, you go through and you'll define that, those data structures. And then when you're, when you're happy with that, you'll add what we call a screen, a piece of UI, uh, so that the user is actually going to have something to interact with when they run the application. This is also a place where we, we kind of followed these patterns. We looked at a lot of these business apps and realized that there were a set of UI patterns that people implement over and over and over again in one of these apps, right? You might have a grid or a, a uh, grid that's set up in a certain way where you're going to go try to find some data and then you're going to select it and open it in a, in a more details-oriented screen where you can work with it. Um, maybe you have a screen that's got a list on the left and, and when you select something on the left, it shows the details for it on the right. So we present you with, more, with this set of patterns, again, an extension point of the product. You pick the pattern, tell us what data you want to be displayed on it, um, and then we will go lay out that, that screen for you based on the rules um, or the logic included in the pattern and the kind of data that you have in the screen. You write down, you can hit F5, and, and what you'll see is that you will get an actual application. You'll have a shell that contains all the windowing and, and navigation kind of controls. You'll see your screen or screens you define load up. You have things like paging of data is already in there by default, asynchronous loading of data. You go to search, filter, all those kinds of things are just built into these apps um, by default for you. Um, and you're, you're reading and writing from the database already. All those kinds of things are just there, and you haven't written a line of code yet. Hmm. But you did say right up front here, you're going to eventually write some code. You're going to eventually write some code. Um, you know, you're going to decide that whether it's, hey, I've got the ability to store a home phone number and a cell phone number and a work phone number, and they're all optional, but I need to have at least one, right? Right. You know, that would be a, just a piece of code that you would write. Um, and associate with with that patient record, for example. And when you go start entering data, if you skip all all those fields, uh, you'll see that the end user is immediately going to have in their client app a validation is going to pop up. Um, right now, it's our default shell implements them kind of like Internet Explorer will show the the warnings and and validation at the very top as a glyph, and then you kind of expand it down and see all of them that were there. Um, you know, so you can fix them when you go to submit it. We'll, of course, execute those same rules on the server as well because we're not going to trust that the only client talking to you is, is yourself right. um, and ensure those things go through. So what uh, that brings me to this question. What uh, technologies are being used under the hood? Sure. So under the covers, what we do is um, let's take the example where I'm creating new data, right? I've, I'm, everything is, is that greenfield kind of application, right? Mm. So under the covers, what we're going to do is we'll create a SQL database for you that matches the definition, data structure definition you gave us. We'll spin up an entity framework data model on top of that. To expose that data to uh, the client application, we'll create a set of WCF RIA services for you um, that put that on the service boundary. And then your client application is going to be a Silverlight 4 client application that will talk to those WCF RIA services to do the interaction with the data. So, now, are you locked into those technologies? Could you, use, could you make an ASP.NET AJAX, for example, page? Um, so I could, as the, as the creator of the LightSwitch product, I could choose to start supporting um, standards, standards web, you know, ASP.NET, AJAX kinds of, HTML kinds of things. Right now in version one, the only client applications we create are Silverlight 4 applications. I see. They can be hosted either in the browser and run in Silverlight's, you know, environment, security environment, or you could host them, choose to have them appear in, as Silverlight 4 out of browser right. um, desktop applications. Okay. So those are the, that's the, what we support in V1. But on the coverage, we've got, you know, I mentioned that we're, you know, we're implementing um, 
you know, best practice patterns and, and design patterns for these things. So under the covers, your Silverlight application is using, you know, we've created a, a view model kind of environment there. So that does free us as the tool to uh, support other presentation stacks in the future um, and try to protect your investment. Because the Windows Phone 7 is out if you're going to use, if you're going to make a pure Silverlight. Well, yeah, so Windows Phone 7, um, we won't have support uh, for that in V1 either, but that's that's a pretty, you could, you could squint and see how we could get there. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm, uh, you know, the reason I asked for um, uh, about uh, Ajax applications is because mobile phones other than Windows Phone 7 phones will be able to use them as well on mobile browsers. Um, yep. You know that that's a that's a consideration for us when we're doing kind of uh, applications that run behind the scenes that we want to be able to access from anywhere. Yep. Yeah. No. That's definitely an opportunity for us. You know, in a future release, looking at the roadmap is you know what other technology stacks, presentation stacks specifically, do we need support for these business applications? Right. Hmm. Um, you know, we chose to go the the Silverlight route because it it gave us both the desktop capabilities because in a lot of these applications you need to integrate and interoperate with desktop resources, whether it's the file system itself or just devices hanging off of the machine, like a, a barcode reader or something like that. Right. Silverlight 4 lets us do that. Um, and it also keeps us with one stack to, to get a little bit more reach if you want to, uh, to do a browser-based app for your, for your employees, um, but still have some richness. You can, you can go that route. Yep. You know, if we were trying to do, if we were going after the, the application segment that, uh, the web matrix product is going for right where they're they're mm-hmm. about building websites right mm-hmm. well then clearly html you know asp.net javascript that's ajax that's the route to go that's the technology stack to use if you're trying to build public facing websites right and you need the ultimate reach um okay right? good enough makes sense yep yeah where you really are aimed at line of business apps so these tend to be internal you tend to have a an even um uh Client requirement. People are going to have more or less the same clients. So, still want to be able to use it on my iPhone. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> Sounds like some great V2 stuff. But uh, what, what state are you actually in yet? Are you shipping? So, we, we just announced the product um, at the VS Live event you know, last week. And then in, on August 23rd will be the first public beta of the LightSwitch product. So, awesome. Yeah. So, we're really looking forward for. You know the chance for people to to really get their hands on this thing and and work with it and give us some feedback. Now, of course, since you are building assemblies and stuff, are you also generating the code? So, if I really wanted to tweak styles and things like that, I could pull up the XAML and start messing around with it and blend or whatever. Uh, so, you you won't be able to go and and open up the XAML for the screens that we create and things like that. Um, for two reasons. One, we're really not actually creating XAML um, because we're compiling it. We're just compiling it directly as oh. you know, as code and, and executing it. Mm. Uh, now, yes, you could hunt around on disk and find the code that we've generated, um, but you're not going to want to touch it because we are going to go regenerate it again next time. Um, Got it. So we don't, you know, that's where we depart from the sort of traditional Visual Studio approach where you know, we have this designer-generated file. We try to put all these markings around it saying, hey, it's designer-generated, don't touch it, which we all know after many years is actually does the opposite effect. People go immediately looking at it and touching it. So, um, what, was so. Your, what was your reasoning behind locking it down like that? Well, a lot of it is, you know, because we're taking this model-centric approach, that's just, you know, we, we have the model. Um, the model is an implementation detail for us right now. We're not, you know, Publishing this as as the application model for for Microsoft apps. Um, there's some other groups across the company that have been looking at defining those things, and when when they get them to a point that they're happy with it, we want the opportunity to move a light switch application to that model, right? In which case, then it's it's much more open. Um, the person that we're targeting here, they're not interested in in those details. They're right? not interested in the way their app looks. They're, they're interested in the way their app looks, but they're, they're much more interested in the time to solution that they get. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we find is that this customer, a phrase comes up a lot, which is this idea that the app is good enough, right? It's good enough to get, to get what they need because it was about solving that business problem immediately. So okay. um, they don't want to go in and have to learn all the technology aspects that they would need to to go tweak the XAML, for example. Um, they'd rather just use the, the templated style approach and the, the hints that you can give the template for property setting and so forth. 
Can you, you can build your own templates, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can build your own templates. You can build your own application shells. You can build your business types. You can build data source providers. You can build all of those things in environments like Visual Studio Professional, Premier Ultimate, or, or Blend for the UI kinds of things um, and plug those into the light switch experience. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik who want me to tell you about JustMock, Telerik's mocking tool. And unlike most mocking tools, JustMock can work with non-virtual methods, sealed classes, and static methods and classes, giving you complete control over your code. And of course, you get that great Telerik quality and support. You can read more and download the tool at Telerik.com slash JustMock. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash Telerik. So I'm thinking in terms of big org, you know, enterprise class org, many, many developers, lots of internal applications. And I'm trying to, as a senior guy, as an architect in that space, trying to create a common look and feel amongst all these line of business apps. So I could probably set up a set of templates that were fairly restrictive and fairly specific on how I wanted apps to look internally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're actually, there are, there are a number of, of large organizations that we've already been having conversations with that are thinking about exactly that, where they've got central IT that is more than booked up with the big enterprise scale mission critical apps and, right. and has multi-year backlogs of requests coming from, from the business units uh, that they just can't get to. And so those, those groups are looking at, at light switch as a potential way to, to help the businesses um, create the applications they need to on their own in a, in a moderate, you know, in a reasonable way, but do so in a platform that the central IT group can actually support um, because a percentage of those apps will eventually end up in the central IT group's hands because they became, you know, a mission-critical app. Right. So knowing that it's built on, you know, a platform that, that central IT understands, supports, um, makes them feel a lot better than than when they just go off and find the cheapest consultant that they can to go spin the app up for them. Yeah. But by um, that same token, central IT is going to have to become somewhat light switch fluent to maintain and own those apps. Yeah, I think what we're, what we're seeing is we're seeing a couple different approaches. Some are thinking about it just from a pure infrastructure standpoint. So they're mm-hmm. looking at standing up a set of, of servers that support light switch applications running on them. So just you know, a set of IIS servers with .NET Framework on them, you know, maybe some SQL machines, right, to support the databases. And they'll support folks deploying applications to that environment. Advantage for central IT is, hey, at least we know what apps are being built because they're run on our infrastructure, and we can make sure that they're being backed up and um, appropriately and managed appropriately, right? Well, and they're working against SQL Server, like they're doing all the things you expect. Exactly, exactly. It's not, it's not a server, you know, using air quotes, it's not a server that happens to be sitting underneath a secretary's desk that actually right. gets kicked every yeah. once in a while, right? Um, well, and I'm thinking, like, this was one of the things that InfoPath was supposed to do, right? Is the In the office yep. suite, was this, there was really a forms builder that had a way to store data and so forth, but I don't know that it ever really was successful that way. Like, you seem to have come at that same problem in a different direction. Yeah, I mean, we definitely came at it from, you know, we're, we're the developer division, right? So we came at it with the with a an application developer mindset, right, right, as opposed to an IW mindset. Um, and then thinking about, you know, leveraging what we understand from our our IT partners, right, that that are supporting the apps that our developers are building, um, how can we kind of bring those two things together? Like, the, I'm still feeling for your audience, the guy who's currently building stuff in Access should be switching to this? I think uh, it's too late for the guy that's currently <laughs> building stuff in Access, don't you? They're currently building stuff in Access. That was a joke. It's still oh, out. Right, come on, guys. Twenty ten shipped a new version. Come on, so, come on, come on. Yeah, you know, the way I look at it is, <laughs> I think there's a set of folks that are building applications in Access, and they're being extremely successful doing that, and they right. should keep doing that. Right. I don't want them to. If if Access is meeting their needs, absolutely, they should stay there. Right. What what I'm what we're thinking about is there are definitely going to be a set of folks that are probably pushing the boundaries of access today, right? right. Um, they're, and they're butting their head against the ceiling and denting some ceiling tiles every once in a while to try to make it go a little bit further than it, than it could. 
I would think that something like light switch is going to be appealing to them. Um, it's going to come in, you know, it's more geared at the high end of where they're at today and then going further, right? Taking it beyond those capabilities. It also seems to me that you, you know, some junior developers that have tried to get Silverlight going and scratching their head and, and maybe got frustrated with their first go around, they, you know, they might be wanting to use this as well. Absolutely. Yeah. We see it as sitting right between where, you know, if you look at the 2010 products that are in market today, you have access and you have Visual Studio Professional, and there's a big gap between those two. Right. And that's where we see light switch coming in. You know, when you talked about you need to write some code, the first thing I thought of was, yeah, business logic. Where yep. where can I do that? And is it is is it easy enough to figure out where that needs to go? Well, we'll we'll find out on the twenty third if we actually made it as easy as we think we did. Um, but what what we've optimized around is is we think about it as there's three types of code you're going to write um, when you're building a light switch application. You'll write what we think of as screen code, so things that are you're going to use to maybe programmatically take the user from screen one to screen two or, you know, something like that that you want to go or maybe to interact with one of these, you know, barcode readers or something like that. So that screen code is going to be written as just straight Silverlight 4 code, right? So you're going to be restricted to, we'll generate a Silverlight 4 assembly for you. You're restricted to the set of assemblies you can access from a Silverlight application, from Silverlight. Okay. There's code that you'll write that interacts with the data, right? So you want to validate some things before being updated or you want to, you know, check the inventory is available or, or decrement inventory before you commit an order, those kinds of things. Um, and you want them to happen in a transacted way. So we provide a set of entry points into what we call our data pipeline. You imagine what you're going to see is a set of things that feel like events, like an inserting, inserted, updating, updated kind of mm. event model where you can get in and interact with the data before it's going in, after it's gone in, when it's coming out, like in a query, you can get, you know, you can see the data before it gets sent across and, and manipulate it there if you want to as well. Um, so that's all just .NET framework code that you're going to write. So anything you can reference from, you know, the desktop kind of server .NET framework, you can pull in and, and use in that experience. And then you have a set of code that actually you want to run in both places. And that's typically the light validation kind of code, like the example we did with the phone number, maybe some defaulting logic. So when I create a new order, default the shipping address to the customer's mailing address, for example, or billing address or whatever. Um, that code, you want to have it run on the client because you want a really rich client experience and immediate feedback. But you also need to run it on the server because you can't trust that maybe that the only person using you is your client or maybe you have calculated fields that you're using, right, where you're calculating a value and you want those available on the server as well. So for that, what we do is we create an assembly that is scoped to that transparent subset of the framework where you have one binary that can be executed in Silverlight, and that same binary can be executed on the .NET framework. Um, so we create that assembly, and we have it execute in both locations. So those are the three types of code that you write when you're building a, a light switch application. And hopefully, if we did our job correctly, you don't really think about the difference between those. You just you know, go to the entry point to write the validation rule or to write the calculated field, and you're in that, that subset project. You go to write the code. The entry point allows you to get into the pipeline and you write that kind of code. And the only difference you see is the, the scope of references that have been pulled in or that you can pull in. Well, I'm thinking of some code that's sort of dependent on existing data. So if somebody wants to enter a record, let's say, um, another set of records and another set of values has to be within a range in a certain table in order for that record to be able to go in. Yep. You know, that that kind of checking happens a lot, but that I'm not so sure that falls into any of those silos. Uh, like a guy's credit limit for an order. Yeah, exactly, Richard. Yeah, so you've, uh, yeah, you guys only allowed to order up 100 bucks worth of stuff, so I've got to grab this value, and as he's entering rows, I've got to be able to check that. Yep, so, you know, again, depending on what kind of rule it is um, and, and, what, and how, your, how your application is going to work, you would either, the most straightforward experience would be to do that as a server-based rule, that's probably the most straightforward experience. If you know you're doing a heavy data entry and you're, you've got a grid that's supporting this and the, the user's just banging data in, so you want it much more you know, client-side validation, then, yeah, you can author the ability to pull those values down as part of your, your screen loading, and you can do, implement the check on the client as well if you wanted to. So you could do it, you could do it either way. Um, actually, the more I think about it, when you... You implement it as a validation rule in the data entity, right, itself. 
uh, will understand that you're going and checking this value on you know customer's credit limit value and will ensure that that is brought down for you um, in the client, right? So the client will have access to that full data set. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Just trying to figure out how that would work. Uh, it doesn't, um, I didn't get the impression that you uh, liked us mucking around in the model. Well, no, so the, the model itself is where you, you, it has an entry point to assign a validation rule, right? Okay. Um, so you could do that and then you could write code there and in All that right. code you get access to your, your data model, right? So if somebody, if maybe it's not you, the guy who's building this app, but if somebody on your team writes code and knows about the data model and understands how to write business logic, they could find the right p- point to to write it. Is what you're, and that's really the only thing that I'm concerned about. But it sounds yeah. like you're, the answer is yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think the answer is yes. Yeah. But we are playing in the light switch world here. You've created certain entry points for us to get at things, and, and that's sort of the limit of what we can do. Correct. Correct. We, you know, we, we control the entry points, um, you know, we expose the models to you, right? Whether it's a view model in the presentation or the data model, you know, for the data stack, for example. Um, and you're gonna you're gonna work with that those models that we give you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's part of why we're really excited for this beta. We make sure that we've actually made them rich enough to accomplish the app scenarios we're targeting here. So, and, you know, light switch isn't for everything, right? It's, right. it's yeah, for yeah. a specific type set of stuff. Um, when you need more, that's what. You know, the full frameworks are for, that's, that's what Visual Studio Professional Premium and Ultimate are for building those apps, right? So, so is it possible to take a light switch app and simply flip it over into a regular studio app and you can't go back, but now you can at least have access to everything that's been made? No, no, we aren't, we aren't doing that um, in, you know, in the, in the near term. What really the approach we're looking at is a much more um, core screen kind of mechanism where, right. you know, each of these points in the product, you could choose to use Visual Studio Pro Premier Ultimate and actually create it yourself. So right. let's say that the data access stack that we build and the real services we build don't work for you for whatever reason. Fine. You could go create your own custom data access layer, right? Expose it via WCF Real Service, but still right. use the client application mm-hmm. um, that you created with LightSwitch. Well, now you're but, splitting up the roles, in, especially in that enterprise app where senior guys are building a set of WCF services that the um, client building guys can access. And they don't have to worry about accessing the database and so forth. Exactly, exactly. Okay. You can do the same thing in the client side where you can, you know, if the the templates that we've given you for screens and the various control mechanisms we give you for laying out and customizing that screen, if you have a screen that just isn't going to work well with one of those and you need to get more custom, you can build a Silverlight user control sure. uh, and plug that in and completely replace parts to entire screens. Because um, you do know, using. you know, the, the service points are published and well-known. Those aren't hidden, are they? Right, right. Yeah. Well, actually what it is, is you can, uh, there's a couple, a couple different interfaces, and depending on how integrated you need to be, you implement a couple of these interfaces in your user control, and it completely integrates with the, the light switch application. You don't have to write any data access code. You're just, again, getting the same models okay. sent to you that, that we would have, so... Wow, so right at the UI layer, you, you've got, even if you rewrite all the UI yourself, it seems like you've got all the other goo, which is typically where the, the problems end up being, right? Yep. It's in that goo layer, yep. I like to call it. The goo layer, yeah. The data layer, the, the RIA <laughs> services kind of WCF layer. Yep. What about embedding custom controls? Fully supported, fully supported. So all right. um, nice. we're working with a number of the, the leading um, control vendors out there in the, you know, in the .NET space. And they're, you know, a lot of them, there's varying degrees, right? Things will just work um, with a Silverlight control. It's not the best experience because you're now exposed to all the various properties of that control and it, it's maybe not the most productive. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the, the control vendors are looking at specific light switch extensions to the controls that really allow them to light up better um, and, you know, surface just the properties you need to get the data binding to work or enhance the capability that their control provides. Um, I'm expecting a lot, what we'll see is a lot of them will actually decide they're going to introduce screen templates that optimize for their control sets, Hmm. right? Right. Um, And have all the properties set by default and and do the really interesting things with their controls that add the value over what you'd get from 
you know, an out-of-the-box light switch slash core silverlight control. Yeah, they can go steps further that way to actually, then, then also you start seeing some custom uh, UI para- paradigms or UI um, templates. Yep, exactly, exactly. And so we, you know, we, we uh, as part of the announcement, we, we showed off a, an alternative application shell that was that's being built by the folks at Infragistics that just by switching the, to this shell, you get a radically different looking application. So the one we have by default at a light switch has an office outlook inspired look and feel to it. Um, you switch to their to the shell they have and and all navigation, everything is completely changed around. Um, it feels much better as a touch kind of application. You have bigger bigger hit points for you know navigating between the screens and, and activating menus and things like that. So you know and that required no, nothing on the light switch user's point of view, right? They just chose a different template and they got a completely different app. Yeah, I can see feel. presenting that to your boss, right? Getting the 90-day trials of all these different suites of tools, building the rough app, maybe you know three or four screens worth, and then just firing each of the templates up and saying, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? What do you think of this? And, and yeah. recognizing you like. basically yeah. writing no code. Yeah. Oh, nice. So. Well, you, you know what it reminds me of, Carl? VB at the beginning. Yeah, VB1. Yeah, VB1, even VB1 to VB3, where, you know, we were generally teased by the development community because it wasn't a real product per se, but we were being teased all the way to the bank because yep. we built apps so much faster than anybody else. That's right. Yeah. And uh, yes. <laughs> what more can you say about that? Um, well, I like this idea of I flip a switch and now it's a web app. Yeah. And, and and is that really what light switch is all about? It's just sort of like the experience of turning on a light. It's simple, and it was off before, and now it's on. You That's didn't have a, an app, and now you have an app. Yeah, I mean that that really is the idea. Is it, it trying to make it just as simple as as turning on a light, right? I mean, you don't have to think about. And how, I mean, how many people? There are people, but how many of us are really interested in exactly what happened, right, from the time I activated the switch to actually light came out? Um, Oh, sure, I'm interested. That cool, but I just want it to be. Li- I just want it to be brighter, <laughs> right? Yeah. What about O data? What about O data? Yeah. Can you consume O data with uh, light switch? So we don't in in V1. Um, there's a little asterisk next to that statement. We when we talk to to SharePointless, we at runtime in the application we use O data as the protocol for accessing that. Oh, interesting. Um, but we don't support it as a as a as a first class data source. But I bet um, if I squinted my eyes just right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's I mean when you're developing with RIA services, there's a checkbox that says publish this as an O data service. Yep. How easy that would be very easy to do, wouldn't it? So you can expose. I mean, so we don't expose our stuff as as just straight O data, right? We do leverage some some specific metadata capabilities that we carry across with RIA service that we get from the RIA service implementation, which is why we use that one. Um, it is a common request and you know it's it's on our on our list pretty high up for for the for a future release. It is um, V1. But not in V1. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we just we just don't have the discovery mechanism in place for that. So Yeah, you can't have everything in V1, right? That's right. How long have you guys been working on this? Oh, it's, I'd say the, the majority, the, the main team has been going on it for about two years. Wow. And how many people on that team? About? Eh, it's a few. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a few as in little or a few as in many? It, it's a pretty good, it's all pretty relative. good chunk. Yeah. So um, a lot of, a lot of brain power behind this. Quite a bit of brain power behind it. You know, we've, obviously we, we, I think we've pushed a number of the, the framework stacks themselves and the runtimes mm. in good directions for business developers as part of this as well. That's yeah. A little bit of what took some of the time was we needed to, to help, you know, get the, the Silverlight stack where we needed it or the, or the RIA stack where we needed. Um, Did you know, you... One of the things we haven't talked about a lot because it's not going to be in the first beta, but when, uh, when LightSwitch V1 ships, in addition to, you know, building these applications could be deployed to, to your in-house environments, we can also we'll also be able to deploy an app directly to uh, Windows and SQL Azure as well. So nice, your database will go directly to SQL Azure, and your your application tier will go you know into a Windows Azure role. Wow, very cool. 
that's very powerful be- just because people don't want to run the infrastructure. Exactly. Exactly. And you were saying that uh, you, you've been building this for the last two years. So you sort of developed this as Silverlight 4 was coming in and as RIA Services was, was uh, being built. So I bet, as you said, and I, you glossed over this, but I, I want to make a major point of this, that I'm sure what you guys were working on was really f- giving the, those teams the feedback that they wanted in terms of real world teams that are using it. You know, yeah, definitely. nice feedback definitely. cycle. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, there's quite a few capabilities that came into, um, well, both of those, both of those technologies that were directly, you know, requests from us as the business application development team, right? That so we need these capabilities if you really want people to build business apps on this stuff. That's right? great. We talked about this sort of in Chicago. We we're talking yep. about what building Studio 2010 with WPF did to WPF. That, you know, you're stressing the infrastructure in a in a good way that ultimately makes it a better infrastructure. Yep, exactly. So, it's a goodness for everybody, I think. Absolutely. Uh, and so, getting a this is just suddenly becomes the launching platform for someone wanting to getting uh, onto Azure. We definitely see it as a as a great way for people to get you know this class of application up and running and then you know deployed into the Azure environment. Absolutely. So I keep I keep sticking my IT hat on because you know we were talking about access earlier on and from an IT perspective access became a virus. Yeah. Right? That people built these little apps and threw them around the company and they were not controlled and they had critical data in them and one day they blew up and it was the IT guy's fault about it and he never even knew about the app. Yeah. And with Light Switch, at least because you're relying on a SQL database, well odds are you're not going to get access to that without talking to me, the IT guy first. Right. Right. Yep. So immediately there's visibility at that level for here's a way to do that. Or, and ultimately I might end up setting up a server for lots of folks to build, uh, light switch apps, but I know the data lives there and I know I can back it up and you know, life is good. What is the deployment experience overall with light switch like? Is, is there, there are roles that run on servers, right? Well, yeah. So what we do is we support three deployment topologies. Uh, we'll, we'll deploy the classic, uh, two tier, Desktop applications, so in which case, you know, we'll collapse the, the, that quote unquote RIA service server component into, uh, and deploy it down with the client application, in which case you're going to get your Silverlight 4 app and a desktop app running on the client talking directly to your database. But we support that one. There's quite a number of folks out there, especially in those small and media businesses that don't want to put up, you know, an additional server. So we do that. Then we support two variations of the classic three-tier deployment where uh, you have your database tier, we'll create that package for you, we'll deploy your your middle tier to an IIS server, and then we'll deploy your client either as the desktop out-of-browser client or the in-browser hosted client. Um, and in which case, in those, in those deployments, we're creating MS Deploy packages for you uh, that can either be just executed immediately if you have access from your machine running light switch to to push things into that server or database environment, mm-hmm. or it can be used by an administrator to actually deploy the to deploy the application for you. But now you're so. going to throw Azure into the mix, mm-hmm. and now I can avoid all that communicating with those IT guys and go store it up in a different infrastructure I pay monthly for. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So in that case, you'll just take sit right from light switch and be able to deploy directly into your. You know, we'll use one Windows Azure work web role for the application tier, mm-hmm. and then a, a SQL Azure database um, as your backend would be the default configuration there. How is this going to be made available to uh, developers? Is it going to be a download for MSDN subscribers? Is it going to be free? Is it going to, are you going to charge for it? What's the, what's that all about? Yep. So there, this will be a new entry in the Visual Studio product lineup. So there'll be a Visual Studio light switch SKU. Uh, it will be a a for-pay SKU. Pricing hasn't been finalized, but it'll be somewhere between Express and Pro. Express is free. Free. So it'll be Pro about, is it'll somewhat be more than that. More is than free. It'll be cost more than free. $500 for Pro? Uh, and less than Visual Studio Professional. Right. Um, but then folks with MSDN subscriptions will be able to download it um, and add it into their um, professional premium or ultimate okay. SKU that they've got. Very good. And it'll, it'll feel like a project type, basically. In those environments. Oh, that's nice. And yeah. shipping when? 
Shipping the beta on August 23rd. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then will there be another beta? We expect this to be the first beta, yes. Okay. I mean, in reality, is this is the first time you're sort of revealing it to the world. I, we're, I, I got to think you're expecting a few surprises. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're, we're excited to see what people are going to say. And, you know, it's going to be, we know we're going to get some fee- quite a bit of feedback. We already have about things people would like to see. We'll have right. to, some of those we'll be able to get in. Some of them we'll have to wait for the next release. Yeah. Um, really looking for, to ensuring that the scope that we're looking at, the kinds of apps we're looking at for V1, that we really truly are, uh, you know, do have the feature set we need to support those. So Where things will get hairy is when we all start demanding Go Live licenses. That's when things will get interesting. Um, <laughs> that won't happen on August 23rd, but yeah. after that, I'm, I'm sure we will probably, we'll look to do a go-live before we actually um, ship the final product. So, Well, Jay, congratulations. I, I can feel a sigh of relief uh, you know, all over the .NET community about having something that where the focus is on ease of use and, and, and time to market. So thank you, and congratulations again. Thanks, guys. All right, and I guess uh, we'll talk to you, dear listener, next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got transmitter band by the FCC.